Thank you so much for being here today. It's going to be a great day in God's house. And uh, we had a fantastic 9 o'clock service. We had an awesome kids choir. And, and I'm looking forward to concluding our series today, Stand Firm. And uh, you can go ahead and find a seat this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. 1 Peter chapter 5. And God has been so good in this season. I'm going to say that one more time. God has been so good to us in this season. We just sang a whole song about it. He's good. Just this past week, we had two teenagers pray to accept Christ as their Savior. And that's what it's all about. And even in the midst of 2020, God has been on the move. We've seen people saved and baptized and people added to the church. It's been a wonderful season. And I'm looking forward to closing out this year on a high note and starting next year on a high note. We have some great things planned. And as a church, we are 100% committed to Sunday in-person gatherings. We believe that the scripture tells us that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but rather so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so we are 100% committed to safely gathering on Sunday mornings. And uh, that being said, uh, we have been praying uh, as a team and as a church just about uh, some of the extra and additional uh, events that are taking place over the next couple of weeks. And we thought in light of everything that's going on in this season, that out of an abundance of caution, uh, it would be wise and appropriate for us to put on hold some of the extra events that we've been planning. And so uh, next Saturday, we're not going to have our Christmas festival and uh, we're going to move our Christmas uh, Eve service to an online experience, which we have some special things planned for. So you're going to want to tune in uh, Christmas Eve online. Uh, but this way, this will help us focus in on Sunday morning gatherings. And I'm so excited about uh, December 13th. It's going to be an amazing Christmas experience next Sunday. And so I want to encourage you to be in your place and, uh, and uh, be expectant for God to do something great. But I wanted to make that announcement this morning. And uh, I believe that God is going to do something great uh, through the rest of this year. Do you believe it today? And I'm looking forward to seeing how that uh, plays out, believing by faith that God is going to do something great. First Peter chapter 5 today, our series finale. I'm glad, I'm glad two of you are excited about that. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Thank you. First Peter chapter 5. And uh, we're going to read and study this entire chapter today. But I want to encourage you now, if you have a Bible, keep it open, keep it ready. And if you don't have a Bible, we'll have most of the verses on the screen today. But uh, maybe you can pull out a phone or an iPad and look up these verses. And I believe that there is great power in the Word of God. And ultimately, it's not about what I have to say, but the Bible says that the Word of God will not return void. And so if we gather together and we unite under the Scripture, then we know that, that God's will will be accomplished and, and uh, we can uh, take it to the bank because God said it. First Peter chapter 5. And uh, for sake of time, we'll start reading in verse number 6. If you're with me, would you say amen? amen. Go ahead and drop it in the comments online today. And uh, we're looking forward to studying this passage. Verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care about you. Be sober, verse 8. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion. Everybody say, a roaring lion. Drop it in the comments. Say, a roaring lion. 
walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Today, I want to bring a message that I'm calling this lion on the loose, lion on the loose. Are you ready today? Let's have a word of prayer together. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the awesome first service that we were able to gather together and worship you in. God, thank you for uh, all of those that are watching online, on Facebook and on YouTube, and God, extending our reach through an online platform. God, we pray that everyone that is tuning in this morning will be able to be encouraged through your word. God, I pray that you would be with us in the room today, that we would uh, be filled with your spirit and that we would be ready to receive your word. God, I pray that we would recognize that there is a lion on the loose. I pray that we would recognize that we have a responsibility to uh, uh, be uh, sober and be vigilant. And so, God, I pray that we can uh, take some of these truths this morning and apply them to our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, A couple of weeks ago, uh, my family and I, we had the opportunity to go to the zoo, and uh, it was a great time. We were looking at all kinds of animals, and, and uh, we had a lot of fun as a family, and probably the highlight of that zoo trip was we got to go and feed some of the giraffes. I think we have a picture this morning of my eldest daughter, Liv, who did an incredible job this morning reading the verse, I might add. And uh, she uh, had fun uh, feeding the giraffes, but we were a little disappointed because we wanted to go and see some lions and tigers, but this particular zoo that we went to uh, didn't have uh, lions and tigers. And uh, lions and tigers are fun to observe as long as they are contained, right? As long as they are confined, no problem, they're great, and uh, we want to watch that. And uh, this past week, I saw a video of some zoo training that was done. A zoo has very particular training about what to do if an animal gets on the loose, if, if an animal escapes the, the confines of that uh, cage. They have some training on how they are to respond. And so I saw this video that I thought was quite humorous from a zoo in Japan, and they were doing some actual training on what to do if a lion got on the loose. And so I want you to see this video. This is 100% real. This is their training for a lion on the loose. Those real lions are like, what in the world is going on over there? And uh, we can watch that video and we can think, you know, that that is, that is silly. But we all know and can agree that a real lion is uh, nothing silly about it, right? And uh, dealing with a real lion can be very intimidating and be very scary. And as Peter closes this letter to the churches that were scattered throughout Asia Minor, he closes this section of scripture and he closes this letter with a strong warning and with a strong admonition. And here is his message. There is a lion on the loose. This is how he says it in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 8. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Notice that the scripture does not say as a roaming lion. It says as a roaring lion. What is the purpose of a lion's roar? The purpose of a lion's roar is to instill fear in its prey. 
In fact, a mature grown lion, you can hear the, the roar of a mature lion from up to five miles away. And the purpose of this roar is to put fear uh, within its prey. The Bible puts it this way in Amos chapter 3, verse number 8. It says, The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God hath spoken, but who can uh, prophesy? And as we consider the landscape of the last 10 months, we have to conclude, and there is no doubt about it, that there has been a lion on the loose. And Satan has been trying to trip up the church, and Satan has been trying to instill fear within the church, and he is roaring. He's been roaring through the form of a virus. He's been roaring through the form of politics. He's been roaring through the form of financial instability. And make no mistake about it, he wants to put fear within us because fear will paralyze our forward motion. He does not want us to walk by faith. He wants us to live in the confines of fear. And as a pastor, it breaks my heart when I see someone that has been on fire for God and someone that was moving forward by faith, but now because of a little bit of fear and now because of the lion on the loose, they have taken a step back and they have drifted from God's word and they've drifted from the principles that they have learned in God's word and they've taken a step backward. And so my, my question this morning for us is this, how do we then respond to the roar? As Satan is walking about seeking whom he may devour, make no mistake about it, the devil wants nothing more than to destroy your life. He wants to see your life be devoured. And so what is our response? Do we kind of just hunker down in fear and just kind of take a step back and I'll just kind of see how it plays out and we kind of just surrender to it all? Well, Paul answered that question in the book of Romans with an emphatic no. He said this in Romans chapter 8, verse number 37. He said, nay. Everybody say nay. He says, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And so I have good news for you this morning. If you have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit within you, then you are not just a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror and you can get the victory today. Hey, God has given you everything that you need to live a life of godliness. Hey, you are well equipped to get the victory. Can I encourage you today? You don't have to uh, fall prey to temptation. You don't have to fall prey to lust. You don't have to give way to anxiety. You are more than a conqueror through him. And so, no, we don't back down to the roar. The Bible says in Romans 12, 21, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You're a conqueror. You're an overcomer. And so today, as we conclude this series, Stand Firm, and as we look to this last chapter of the letter of 1 Peter, uh, I want to give you five ways, five ways that we can get victory against the lion on the loose. Are you ready today? Five ways we can get victory against the lion on the loose. Number one, stay low. Stay low. Ironically, in the Christian life, the way up always comes by going down. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 16, verse number 19, better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly, the lowly. Everybody say the lowly. lowly. Put it in the comments, say the lowly, than to divide the spoil with the proud. And I believe the first course of action, if we're going to stand firm against the lion on the loose, is to stay low. Now, uh, Peter is going to address two groups of people in these first couple of verses that I want to point out. First, he is going to address the elders of the church. Notice it in verse number one. He says, the elders which are among you, I exhort. Now, the word elder, the word bishop uh, in Scripture in the New Testament are interchangeable. They are referring to the same office, the office of a pastor. 
the office of a pastor. The term pastor means to be a shepherd. And so he's talking to the elders, the leaders and pastors of the church. And he says, the elders which are among you, I exhort, whom I am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He says in verse 2, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Now, there's an interesting balance here that Peter is talking about when it comes to the pastors and the elders of the church. He first says, hey, as, as the shepherd, as the pastor, you are to be uh, among the people. Did you see it in verse number 2? He said, feed the flock of God, which is among you. And so uh, to be among the people, see, a good shepherd will smell like the sheep. Uh, a good shepherd will spend time with, with the sheep and spend time with the people. There is a relational element there for a pastor and an elder. But then he says, and he goes on in verse 2, and he says, taking the oversight. And so here's an interesting balance that a shepherd is supposed to be among, but also over. And so the word among represents the relational side of leadership. The word uh, over represents the authoritative side of leadership. And you have to have a balance and a healthy balance because if you err on one side, you're going to lead into bad times. For example, if a leader is uh, leaning towards the relational side and he's relational with the people, but he lacks authority, that's going to be a problem. But on the other hand, if there is a leader that is authoritative and domineering and he doesn't have a relationship with the people, that will also be a problem. And so Peter says a good pastor and a good elder will have this among over relationship. He goes on in verse two and he says, not by constraint, but willingly. Uh, you, not because you have to, uh, but because you get to and want to. Not for filthy lucre, not uh, for greed or covetousness, but of a ready mind. Verse 3, but, uh, them to look to. Uh, this is what we see when Paul says in Corinthians, to imitate me as I imitate Christ, giving a tangible example to look to. Paul told a young pastor named Timothy uh, the same thing in 1 Timothy 4.12, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. So he's saying, hey, be the right example and exemplify the love of God and the grace of God. If you're still with me, would you say amen? Amen. And then he says this in verse 4, which is key. Again, speaking to the elders, he says, And when the chief shepherd, the chief shepherd, that is Jesus Christ. See, the pastor of the church is the under-shepherd, but the chief shepherd uh, is Jesus Christ. Christ is the head of the church. This church is not my church. This church is Jesus Christ. And so he says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. What is Peter telling the elders? He is saying, Make sure that you are seeking to please the chief shepherd and the chief shepherd alone. Because, hey, newsflash, you can't please everybody. If we haven't learned that in 2020, I don't know what we've learned. You can't please everybody. But good news, we don't have to please everybody because we're called to please one, the one who has called us and chosen us to be a soldier in God's army. We are called to please him and him alone. And so Peter says, hey, make sure that you are seeking to please the chief shepherd. And then he goes on in verse number five, and now he's going to address not just the elders, but now he's going to address everyone, all of us. Are you ready? Notice it. In verse 5, he says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you. All of you. So who's he talking to? All of us, right? So uh, first he talked to the leadership, but now he's talking to leadership and membership. Now he's talking to the pastors and the parishioners. He's talking to all of us, and here's his exhortation to everyone. Here's what he says, verse 5. All of you. Be subject one to another, and we've talked about that throughout this series, the idea of submitting and showing honor and respect for one another. And then he says this phrase, and be clothed with humility. 
That phrase, to be clothed with humility, literally means to wear the apron of a servant. To put on the apron of a slave or of a servant that says, how can I serve? How can I be a blessing? It's not about a position that I have. It's about the mission that God has given me. So whatever I need to do to serve. See, what Peter is saying is this, to all of us, stay low. You want to withstand the attack from the lion that's on the loose? We have to walk in humility and recognize, hey, I can't do this on my own. And it's not about how great I can be. It's about how great God is. And I need the Holy Spirit within me to help me on the path that God has for me. Stay low. This is something that I believe Peter observed from Jesus firsthand many times. And I believe that as Peter's writing this letter to the churches throughout Asia Minor, uh, he is remembering in his mind uh, what Jesus did for him. In fact, the Bible says in John chapter 13, verses 5 through 8, this scene with Jesus and the disciples, where it says this, After that, he poureth water into a basin, who's he talking about? Jesus, and began to wash the disciples' feet. That doesn't sound like a super enjoyable task. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel. Everybody say the towel. The towel wherewith he was girded. See, even in Jesus, he was wearing, he was clothed with humility. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, the, the same Peter that's writing this letter, this experience happened to, he said unto Peter, uh, uh, Peter said, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Like, Jesus, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, what I do thou uh, knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. He says, Peter, you might not get this now, but it's going to make sense later. And it did, because Peter's writing this letter, and he's talking about being clothed with humility. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him and said, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. See, Jesus was teaching that leadership is not about titles. It's about towels. It's about saying, how can I serve? How can I pick up the towel? It's not about that next title that I want or that next position that I want or that recognition that I want or that affirmation that I want. But how can I just pick up the towel and serve? Peter saying, hey, stay low. I've seen so many people devoured by the lion on the loose because they didn't stay low. Peter says, stay low. Augustine said this, if you plan to build a tall house of virtues, you must first lay deep foundations of humility. Then he goes on in verse number six and he says this, he continues this thought. In verse number six, if you're still with me, would you say amen? amen. He says in verse six, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Now, this is interesting. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. The mighty hand of God represents his power and his protection. And I love this because if we want to be protected from the lion on the loose, what Peter is saying is start with humility. Humility leads to protection. Hey, you want to uh, get victory and you're tired of being knocked down all the time and tired of living in defeat? Start with humility and see how that humility brings you to a place under the mighty hand of God, a place of protection. So Peter says, hey, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. J.I. Packer, he said this, a theologian said, not until we have become humble and teachable, standing in awe of God's holiness and sovereignty, acknowledging our own littleness, distrusting our own thoughts, and willing to have our minds turned upside down, can divine wisdom become ours. Start low. Stay low. Here's the second thought today. Number two, slow down. Slow down. Notice what he says in the text in verse number six. Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. In due time. See, God will not exalt someone who isn't ready for it. 
Sometimes we can get in such a hurry for the next season of life. Sometimes we can get so focused and preoccupied on what's next that we miss out on what's now. I want that promotion. I want that raise. I want that opportunity. I want uh, that next house. I want that next assignment. And we get so preoccupied on the next season that we miss out on what God has for us right now. And, but what we have to understand that uh, what we have to understand is that a blessing out of season actually becomes a burden. Recently, my son Luke and I we have been uh, uh, a part of a serious assignment together. I bought him a Nintendo Switch, and we've been playing a game called Crash Bandicoot. Anybody ever play Crash Bandicoot? Uh, Crash Bandicoot was a game that I loved to play uh, growing up. And so I got this game for Luke, and I said, let me show you how it's done, son. And we kind of compete together, and Katie's always rolling her eyes at us, and we say we're competing for the family honor. You know, uh, we're trying to beat this game, and I'm happy to announce today that we beat the game, Luke and I. We beat Crash Bandicoot. Thank you. It was a... It was a long journey, but we did it, and uh, it was a lot of fun. But now that we've beaten the game, uh, my youngest daughter, Blakely, she likes to play Crash Bandicoot now, too, and she'll pick it up, but she's kind of struggling on how to play. But uh, now, because all of the levels are unlocked, uh, Blakely can come in, and she can play whatever level she wants. And so she can go to the last level, and she can play uh, the boss on that last level. But I've noticed that Blakely gets frustrated when she plays those levels, and she gets uh, frustrated and kind of agitated because she doesn't yet know how to do all the controls, and she doesn't know how to play those advanced levels. You know, she doesn't know how to double jump, and she doesn't know how to do uh, the advanced spin moves. And so she gets uh, frustrated because uh, she didn't know that there was a process to get to that last level. There was a process. And a lot of times what we want to do in life is we want to skip the process to get to the prize. But if you skip the process to get to the prize, the prize then becomes void of purpose. What I'm trying to tell you today, that is you can't skip steps in life without hurting your soul. And so Peter comes along and he says, hey, God will exalt you, but he's going to do it in due time. He's going to do it according to his timetable. So slow down and wait upon the Lord. Hey, a blessing out of season becomes a burden. That game was a burden for Blakely. She had a blessing, but it was out of season. There, there was a process to it. Peter's saying, slow down. Psalm 27, verse 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said this, if the Lord Jehovah makes us wait, let us do so with our whole hearts. For blessed are all they that wait for him. He is worth waiting for. Does anybody believe today that he is worth waiting for? The waiting itself is beneficial to us. It tries faith. It exercises patience. It trains submission and endears the blessing when it comes. The Lord's people have always been. I need help. So often we fall prey to the lion on the loose because we are unwilling to ask and seek for help. And many times it's our pride that keeps us from asking for help because we can do that. I got this. I don't need anybody in my life to help me. I, I can. And we fall prey to the lion on the loose. Now notice what Peter says in verse 7. He says, casting all your care. The word care gives us the idea and the word for anxiety. He says, cast your care, your anxiety upon him, for he careth for you. He says this, hey, you don't have to carry that anxiety by yourself. God is there to help you. Don't you love that simple attribute and characteristic of God's nature that he just wants to help? Amen. That he's there to help you? You're struggling? Hey, I can help. He's a very present help in times of trouble, the Bible says. He says you don't have to carry that anxiety on your own. Anxiety 
is defined as the present emotion of fear and inner turmoil produced by the uncertainty of the future. And that is why we have so many people today that are living in the grips of anxiety. There's uncertainty all around us. There was a study done a couple of years ago by the National Science Foundation that concluded uh, these uh, numbers. 40% of the things that we worry about never happen. 30% of our worries are about events in the past. 12% of our worries are unfounded health concerns. 10% of our worries are over minor and trivial issues. And only 8% of our worries are real, legitimate issues. So often our lives are dominated by worry. Peter says, cast that anxiety to the Lord. He cares about you. He's there to help you. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. He's there to help. We have to seek him. Uh, George Mueller, who was an evangelist and founded uh, orphanages, he uh, told a uh, kind of a famous story a lot, and he would talk about how there was a little boy traveling down a road, and he was carrying a load on his back, and uh, there was a horse-drawn uh, cart that came by and offered the little boy a ride, and so the little boy jumped in the cart, and he started riding along, but he kept that bag, he kept that load on his back, and, and the person that was riding that uh, cart said, why don't you put your bag down, and the little boy responded by saying, I don't want to be a burden to the horse, and George Mueller used to tell that illustration and tell that story uh, so that we would understand the application, and the application of that story is so many of us that have stepped into the cart of salvation through Jesus Christ, we have stepped into that blessing of being with Jesus Christ, and yet we are still trying to carry the load. We're still trying to do things in our own strength. We're still trying to please everyone. We're still trying to perform for people. We're still trying to uh, carry it on in our own flesh. And Jesus said, hey, all you that are uh, uh, heavy laden, come to me, and I will give you rest. You don't have to carry it any longer. Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. I think it's interesting uh, the way that the verses read in verses 6 and 7. It's actually a continuation of thought. And so when he says, humble yourselves uh, under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. Verse number 7, casting your care upon him. That's a continuous thought. And so what we learn from that is casting, the word casting, is not so much a command in verse number 7 as it is a result. It's not so much an order to follow as it is an outcome to experience. You say, what do you mean? I mean, what Peter is trying to communicate is that when we're walking in humility, a result of that humility will be a freedom from anxiety. He says, when you're walking in humility, humble yourselves, and as a result, that will cast your cares to the Lord. And so often we are being knocked down, and we are being uh, uh, loaded, and, and, and we're bearing all of these burdens that if we would learn to walk in humility, we would recognize that humility is one of the greatest cures for anxiety. So Peter says, seek help, go to the Lord. John 14, 27 says, peace I leave with you, Jesus said. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. This leads us to our fourth thought today. Number four is this, sober up. How can we stand firm against the lion on the loose? We've got to sober up. Peter says, we're not playing games this isn't time to mess around and joke around and, and just kind of laugh about everything that's taking place. No, as followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to sober up, to stay focused. Notice how he says in verse 8. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He says, stay on guard, 
Be vigilant. Be watchful. Again, I think Peter learned this through experience. Because you remember Jesus in the garden went to go pray. And what did he tell the disciples to do when he went and prayed? He says, will you pray with me? Will you pray with me? And watch what happens when Jesus comes back in Mark, Mark chapter 14, verse 37. And he cometh, Jesus, and he findeth them sleeping. And saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou, what's the next word? Watch. Couldn't you be on guard? Watch one hour. Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. See, Peter learned what happens when we're not sober, when we're not vigilant, when we're not remaining on guard. And so Peter learned from those experiences, and now he's writing to the churches that are hurting, and he says, hey, if there's anything that I want to encourage you with, it's remain on guard. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because the enemy wants to destroy you. Sometimes we kind of have a trivial and casual view of Satan. You know, because of cartoon uh, character, caricatures, we think kind of Satan is the guy in the red suit with the horns and the pitchfork, and, and it kind of loses, you know, uh, any meaning. But the Bible talks about that, how that Satan has power. He's the prince and the power of the air. And he is, as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In fact, uh, the angel Michael in Jude chapter nine, or Jude verse number 9 says this, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. But watch this, the angel durst not bring against a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Even Michael, the archangel, was like, I'm not going to play games with Satan. He, he recognized that there is power there, that, that he is the adversary, the enemy, the slanderer, the false accuser. What Peter is saying is, hey, as the church, it's time to get serious about our calling. It's time to get serious about our families. It's time to get serious about the word of God. It's time to get serious about the local church. Does anybody believe today that now is the time to not run from it, but to stand firm? And to be serious about our calling. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. There's a lion on the loose. It's not the time to play games. And this leads us to our last thought uh, today. And I thought that it would be appropriate for our last point in the last message of this series, Stand Firm, that number five would be Stand Firm. Stay low, slow down, seek help, sober up, and stand firm. Notice how Peter closes the text today. Verse number nine. He says, whom? Resist. Everybody say resist. resist. Put it in the comments today online. Resist. He says, you've got to stand firm. Resist steadfast in the faith knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Now, this is antithetical to our thinking. This is kind of opposite of how we would think because if we're confronted with a lion, our natural response is going to be to run the other way. Peter says, spiritually, don't do that. When you are confronted with the lion, you are to stand firm. You are to resist the devil and he will flee from you. So he says, stand firm, resist, stand firm in the faith. We have to recognize today that the devil, Satan, he's dangerous, but hear me, he's also defeated. He is dangerous, but he's defeated. 
The Bible says in Revelation 12, 9, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Hey, can I tell you today that because Jesus is victorious, he has already defeated sin, Satan, and death, and so today we worship and we walk from a place of victory. There's going to be battles, there's going to be temptations, but the war has already been won. A.W. Tozer put it this way. I like how he verbalized it. He said, I'm not afraid of the devil. The devil can handle me. He's got judo I never heard of, but he can't handle the one to whom I'm joined. He can't handle the one to whom I'm united. He can't handle the one whose nature dwells in my nature. So it's time as a church to stand firm. And Peter's going to tell us in these last couple of verses some ways in which we are to stand firm. Would it be okay if I shared it with you this morning? He says, first, stand firm in God's grace. Stand firm in the grace of God. Notice in verse 10. He says, but the God of all grace, all grace, everybody say all grace. grace. The God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. It means to bring mending, to to be healed. It carries the idea of mending a fishing net. He says that you can be healed, mended, established, strengthened, and settled. He says you can stand firm. But but how can we stand firm, according to verse 10? It's because of the God of all grace. It's not because we're so strong. It's not kind of just a motivational speech to, hey, you know, muster up everything you got and stand. No, it's standing firm in the grace of God, undeserved favor. Katie and I will talk sometimes about people in our lives that we admire that have gone through terrible tragedies, the worst pain you could possibly imagine. And we've watched and observed their lives and we've wondered how can they have such a peace and have such a joy in a dark season like that? And the reason is because God's grace is sufficient. And God's grace has a settling effect and a stabilizing effect. I heard it explained one time in this fashion about God's grace. When a person works an eight-hour day and receives a fair day's pay for his time, that is a wage. When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for his performance, that is a prize. When a person receives appropriate recognition for his long service or high achievements, that is an award. But watch this. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, can win no prize, and deserves no award, yet receives such a gift anyway, that is a good picture of God's unmerited favor. That is what we mean when we talk about the grace of God. It's undeserved favor. God's grace is sufficient for us in a season of difficulty. And so today we stand firm, but we stand firm in the grace of God. But then we also stand firm in God's grace, but we stand firm with God's people. Notice verse 12. He says, but by Silvanus, that was Silas. Everybody say Silas. Silas was a man that knew all about persecution. He knew all about suffering. Remember Acts chapter 16 when Paul and Silas were thrown in prison and at midnight they started to sing praises. Silas knew all about difficulty, but he stood firm. And he says, by Silvanus, Silas, a faithful brother unto you as I suppose, I have written briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. The true grace. This is not a grace that is a license to sin. This is not a grace that leads to lasciviousness. This is the true grace of God that leads to holiness. The true grace 
of God wearing you stand. He said, hey, Silas stood firm. If anyone could have had an excuse to kind of just quit and to kind of leave the church because things got a little uncomfortable, it would have been Silas. But Silas said, you know what? Even though things are different than I expected, I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to stay faithful to my calling. And what Peter is saying to the church is, hey, you need to be united with God's people like Silas. Then he goes on in verse 13. The church that is at Babylon, most theologians and commentators say that Peter was writing in code here because he was writing from Rome and he didn't want uh, anyone to know or, or to put the church in a bad position. And so he's using this kind of as a code name. He says, the church that is at Babylon elected together with you, saluteth you, and so, do, so doth uh, Marcus, my son. So he mentions two guys. He talks about Silas and now he's talking about Mark. This is John Mark from uh, the book of Acts that we learned went out on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, but you know, Mark was different than Silas because Mark did quit. Mark did experience suffering. And when he experienced suffering, he was like, I'm out. This is not what I signed up for, Acts 13. This is not what I wanted to be a part of. And so he quit on Paul and Barnabas. But then by the grace of God, he recognized, I need to get back in the fight. I didn't stand firm, but I can stand firm. Can I encourage you today that if you've gotten off track, you can get back on track. If you've fallen down, you can get up again and you can stand firm once again. And Paul, Peter says, hey, just like Silas and just like Mark, we need to stand firm with God's people. Hey, more than ever, the church needs to band together. More than ever, the church needs to unite together for the faith of the gospel. Daniel, can you come up here for a second? And Dakota and Dennis and Ty and John. Can you guys come up here for a second? Let's give it up for these guys as they come up here. I'm going to use their, their help to illustrate this next verse. Verse 14. Greet ye one another with a kiss. Just joking, not that verse. Got a little nervous up here for a second. God says, Peter says, stand firm with God's people. I'm going to have Ty this morning. He's going to represent the lion on the loose. And uh, John, can you come over here for a second? And, you know, if John has a sincere heart and John is pursuing the will of the Lord, but he's doing so in isolation, he's going to be more susceptible to attack. Like, let's say John has a great heart and, you know, he wants to worship the Lord, but, you know, I don't need, I don't need to, to be around God's people. I don't need to get in a Zoom small group. And I, don't, I can kind of just do things on my own. See, even if he has a right heart, he can get distracted because we all get distracted. We all have times when our flesh kind of rises to the top and we do what we want to do, right? And so let's say John is trying to do the right thing, but he puts his head down for a second and he, and he is uh, uh, by himself. And here comes the lion on the loose. He's going to be susceptible to attack. But let's say that we have some uh, collaboration together. Let's say that we're walking in unity and uh, here we are, we're joining together. And Dakota, you join over there with Dennis. And let's say that we're all kind of just linked in arms and, and we're determined that we're going to stand firm, not in isolation, but we're going to stand firm with God's people. Hey, even if John's head is down, even if he's distracted, even if he's discouraged, hey, there's a community of people that are going to stand firm with him and say, hey, John, I got your back. Hey, I know that you're hurting, but I'm here with you. And I know that the devil is attacking, but now more than ever, we need to walk in unity and walk in harmony and understand that a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Hey, there is danger in isolation, but there is protection within collaboration. See, a lion loves 
a prey in isolation. But a lion leaves a prey in collaboration. See, there's protection when we stand firm with God's people. Thank you, guys. Let's give it up for these guys one more time. The Bible says in Psalm 133, verse number one, behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. As we close today, we have to recognize there is a lion on the loose, but make no mistake about it. Satan is just a cheap imitation of the one true lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lion of Jesus Christ, who is ultimately victorious. Augustine put it this way when he said that Jesus endured death as a lamb, but he devoured it as a lion. And see, when Jesus resurrected out of the grave, that was a great roar that put fear in the heart of Satan, that put fear in the minds of all of his demons. Can I tell you today that you don't have to walk in defeat with anxiety. You don't have to let lust defeat you. You don't have to let temptation defeat you. You don't have to let discouragement defeat you because Jesus Christ has defeated the grave as a roaring lion. Jesus will accomplish his purpose and he is victorious. He is the true lion of the tribe of Judah. So as hard as Satan tries, we have to recognize we are on the winning side. And so we can stand firm. And we can stand strong. But we have to stand firm in God's grace and with God's people. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.